Father, we do uh, come before you again and we praise you. We thank you for your tremendous love, your tremendous mercy, tremendous grace. We thank you that you lovingly gave your one and only Son for us, that we would have life, that we would be saved. And thank you that he willingly gave himself for us. Father, we thank you that we can continue to worship you now as we come to your word. And I pray you prepare our hearts, that we would be receptive, that we would be those who are instructed by your word, and we are corrected if need be, and trained, Lord God, in righteousness, that we would be adequate, having been equipped for every good work. Lord, bless your word as it goes out today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, each and every one of us are probably familiar with the idea of uh, an example or someone that one might follow. You know, we're kids. uh, We often have people we look up to, whether it's a parent or, you know, a relative or something. People we look up to follow and be like them, whatever it might be. Uh, we see a lot of people in culture these days wanting to be like the, the popular uh, people in society, whether it's a sports hero or, or uh, some comic book thing or whatever. You know, people look to, for things to, to follow, to, to exemplify. And yet as we as believers, we see that uh, we are to be following Christ. He is our perfect example. And yet in Scripture we also see that the Lord has given us inspired examples of those who are like us, sinners who who are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ that exemplified a right walk with him. And we have examples in Scripture for us to follow. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so we are to look to those uh, who are examples and follow their relationship with Christ. Not their personality, not whatever it might be, but their relationship with Christ. In Hebrews chapter 13, uh, the writer says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and, and, and imitate their faith. Trust Jesus like they did. Let that be an example to you. Well, today we continue our look in the book of Philippians, and we are looking at the last example that the Apostle Paul brings before us of Epaphroditus. We're going to see that he was a faithful, compassionate, sacrificial servant. To turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 25 to 30. Now, it's about 62 AD. The Apostle Paul is writing believers in Philippi. He is under house arrest uh, he is very close to them. He was uh, the one who brought forth the gospel and him and Silas. And, and we see the beginning of the Philippian church 10 years earlier with Lydia and her household and the Philippian jailer and her household coming to faith. And the apostle Paul is, is so thankful for uh, God's work in the true believers. And Philippians, Philippians, the, the believers there. And he is confident that God will complete that work until the day of Christ Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 prayed for them that their love for Christ would abound in true or genuine, true knowledge and discernment that they would choose the excellent things that would glorify God. And he made it clear of his terrible circumstances that within those they had turned out for the greater progress 
of the gospel and that God was magnified through his imprisonment as the gospel went out. And that was his desire, that Christ would be magnified in his life. And there was the real possibility that he might go, he was going to go before Caesar, and that he might die. And he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if he was to live on, it would be beneficial for the Philippians. Because Paul was focused on serving Christ and thus the body of Christ. And then he went to their circumstances and encouraged them to walk as heavenly citizens in a manner worthy of the gospel, to stand firm, to strive together, to not be afraid of the opposition, knowing that that's a sign that the opposition are on their way to destruction, but these believers are on their way to glory. And then he shared in chapter 2 that they should be walking in the context of unity, like-minded, thinking the same thing, And that unity comes when the body of Christ has the mind of Christ. When the word of God is working in our hearts, we become unified. And we saw where that unity looks in practice. Chapter 2, we're to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But we are to be regarding others as super more important, super supreme, superior than ourselves. Scoping out ways to see others as more important than than yourself. And how is this done? It's only as we have the mind of Christ. Have this attitude, or literally mind, that was in Christ Jesus. And that attitude was an attitude of absolute humility and, and servanthood. The Lord Jesus emptied himself, becoming a bondservant, fully God, but yet submitting himself to the Father's will to serve us, taking on human flesh. And within that, he was obedient. He was humble, being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's the example for us. And we are to be working out our salvation with fear and trembling because God is at work in us. The living God is working in the lives of true believers, and that should work out in the context of fear and trembling, reverence and awe for the God who is doing this work in us. And we saw the first real command coming out of that working out our salvation. We're to do it with the right attitude, fear and reverence, but also we're to do all things without grumbling or arguing. We're to work it out in reference to, we're to work it out humbly without complaint or argument. And it's from this point he gives us three examples, the Apostle Paul, of those to follow. The first example being himself, and then Timothy. And then, as we'll see today, Epaphroditus. You'll remember we saw the Apostle Paul was a picture of a life well spent. And we saw there was true joy found in giving our lives over for each other in the context of Christ leading us, just as Jesus did for us. And last week, we saw Timothy's example. He was a man focused on the things of Christ, concerned about uh, those things rather than the things of self. He was a proven, demonstrated, faithful servant. He was submissive, humbly serving under Christ, under the authority that God had placed in his life, the Apostle Paul. And now today we take a look at the example of Epaphroditus, who I believe we're going to see was a faithful, compassionate, sacrificial servant of Jesus. Look at verse 25, Philippians 2. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, 
But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Today we have an example of Epaphroditus. And some of you might have been tempted to say, well, I'm not an apostle, so I can't really identify with Paul's example. Well, we can, as we saw. So say, well, I'm not a pastor teacher. I can't really identify with Timothy, but Timothy, but yes, we can, as we saw. But here we're going to see there's a simple servant named Epaphroditus that certainly we all can also identify with. Well, what do we know about this man Epaphroditus? Verse 25 says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Well, first of all, the term or the name Epaphroditus was a common name. And it comes from the Greek god Aphrodite. And so this man was named after Aphrodite, the favorite of Aphrodite. And so most likely he came from a pagan family, a pagan family that named their kid after the god of Aphrodite. And obviously he had come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as we'll see in a moment, as we'll see in a moment, the apostle Paul calls him a brother in the context of the faith. Now it's interesting on a side note that early Christians, including Paul, didn't seem to be superstitious or bothered by the pagan names. Epaphroditus wasn't the same guy he used to be. The Apostle Paul understood that. We know in 2 Corinthians, we're new creations in Christ. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. And so obviously he came from a pagan family, it seems like, but yet had come to Jesus Christ. Well, what else do we know about this man? If you turn to chapter 4, we have a little portion on him, and this is all that we have, our passage and this passage. Chapter 4, verse 14. Chapter 4, verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I departed from Macedonia, that's where Philippi is, by the way, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. Hey, there was no church that supported me when I left you guys, except you guys. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. The Philippians loved Paul, and they, were, they, they loved him. They shared that love by helping him and his needs. He says, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. Your account. Notice what he says in verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance, and I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent. A fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So evidently the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus over a long journey, 1,500, 1,600 miles, to bring a, 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 a gift for the, for the Apostle Paul to take care of his needs financially while he was in prison. And we know back in our passage, verse 25 says, your messenger and minister to my need. He also probably brought them messages concerning the, the, where the Corinthians were at. He's a messenger and minister to my need. 
And so here we see something into the character of Epaphroditus. Because Paul begins back in our passage, look at back in chapter 2, verse 25. He says, but I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. Our passage starts out with a contrast. We don't usually start a, a, a thought with the term but, do we? There's something we're contrasting, and that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. Yet what is he contrasting? Look back a little bit in the portion about Timothy, verse 23. Therefore, I hope to send him, he's speaking of Timothy, immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. He was talking about the possibility of what happens with Caesar. I hope to send Timothy. I'm going to give you the news about how it happens. He's going to deliver that, but he's also going to check in. He's concerned for you. I have no one else that is not concerned like he is. And he says here, I trust in the Lord myself. I myself also shall be coming shortly. But I thought, to contrast, it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. I'm delaying Timothy till I hear news and then he'll go to you. But I have thought it necessary, and the, the verb speaks of having sent him, to send him already. I've sent him to you. I've sent him to you. In light of keeping Timothy, I thought it necessary to send to Epaphroditus. Well, what can we learn from that? Obviously, concerning Epaphroditus' character and what we saw in chapter 4 is he was obviously a trusted envoy of the Philippian church. He had been entrusted to deliver that large financial gift, 1,600 miles. And by the way, it's not an easy journey, by the way. It's not like today. He must have been a person they could trust. But also, he must have been a man of godly character. He was one that they, the Philippians had sent directly to minister to the Apostle Paul. And he was one who was obviously a selfless servant. He was willing to leave the comforts of home, his friends, the church, Philippian church, possibly family, the fellowship there in Philippi, to serve Christ. So we'll see, he was a minister of Christ, serving Christ, to serve the needs of Paul. No small journey. You see, we often have a wrong view of ministry at China. We think ministry is only the obvious things, the, the pastor, the teacher, the preacher. Yes, that's ministry. But there is ministry involved in the support of ministry. It is all ministry, as we'll say. And he served by bringing this, this, this message for the Philippians and also this gift for the Apostle Paul. And he took great risk. He must have been courageous in Christ. He took great risk to minister to Paul in his imprisonment. You know why? If you identified with the Apostle Paul, you could get thrown in prison too, by the way. It's quite possible that Paul being executed, you might have got executed too, if that's the case. It, it took courage for him to be obedient to the Lord and serve the Apostle Paul in this circumstance. He didn't just write a check and send it off. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But here, he, his life was at risk, as we will see physically, but also in the context we'll see in terms of uh, the possibilities of getting sick and things like that that can happen on such a journey. So it's quite apparent Epaphroditus was a pagan who had come to Christ matured to the point where he was a trusted envoy, a man of godly character, a selfless servant who was courageous in Christ. It's amazing to see what Christ will do in the life of a submitted servant. It's amazing to say. If you just give up your life, you just say, Lord, I'm going to serve you, whatever you want. No strings attached, not all these strings in your heart. Well, ah, this job, I'm not sure about that. Ah, nah, nah. If you want me, Lord, I'll do it. Whatever you want, whatever you want. He was a faithful servant. Notice back in our passage, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother 
and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Paul begins explaining here about Epaphroditus. And he gives us five things that he is in relationship to Paul and them. And here I praise God that he gives us not only the commands in Scripture, but he gives us examples of real people who had the same temptations as us, no, as us. No temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man. If you think you're more tempted than someone else, that's not true. It's common. This is a real guy who had real difficulties, and he's an example for us. So then Paul sent, has sent him, and quite possibly it's, it's thought that when Paul had sent him back, that this was the letter he was delivering to them. It's quite possible. That's how they received it. So then, he sent him, and now we have an explanation of why he sent him. We're going to see, first of all, it had to do with his character. I've sent this man, this guy, and here's his character. Here's who he is. You know him, and then he's going to explain so that they will receive him in the right manner. You know, because they might have thought, you know, first of all, there's going to be the issue of his sickness, but also, if he's well, why is he not serving? Why is he not doing the thing he's supposed to do? Why is Paul sending him back? Maybe he failed. Uh Uh-oh. So he wants to share the truth concerning why he sent him back so that they would receive him with joy, with joy. So within this situation, we have something that happened. We'll see in a moment that Epaphroditus had become gravely ill. We read it when we read through the passage. And this illness had lasted such a long time that the Philippians had heard about it. Now, it takes a long time for news to travel 1,600 miles without telegraph, we don't have that anymore, telephone, right? We don't use that too much, right? Cell phones, email, the Internet, right? took a long time for it to get back. They didn't have those things that we have. And then the Philippians knew about it. They were very concerned about the apostle, or not apostle Paul, but they were very concerned about Epaphroditus. And they, that, that concern was relayed all the way back to Paul that they were concerned about Epaphroditus. So some time has gone by. Epaphroditus desperately, in this case, wants them to know that he had been mercifully healed by the Lord. Epaphroditus, we're going to see, is torn up over them. He's torn up because he's concerned that they're concerned about him, that he's con- and he's concerned about them, and Paul's concerned about both of them. So with this in mind, Paul is sending him back, and he's going to relay the reasons why. Notice, first of all, he shares the character of Christ, who he is, the character of Epaphroditus in Christ, who he is. Verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother. My brother. You know, the world uses the term brother in all kinds of different ways. Certainly in families, when you're a brother, you are part of that family, right? The world uses it in ways that actually isolates people to different groups, right? But here, as Christians, uh, when we are brothers and sisters, we are in Christ, every single one of us. We are in a family. We're in a family. The term brother speaks of literally from the same womb. But he's not speaking of physical origin. Indeed, most of us, not all, but most of us have brothers and sisters or both. We all came from the same family, right? The same origin. Now, spiritually speaking, speaking, we all know that because of sin, all of us are initially in Satan's domain. That he is, by default, our spiritual father because of sin. 
And yet, when we believed the gospel and trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we were placed into the family of God. We were born again. Born again. 1 Peter 1.23, For you have been born again, not from seed which is imperishable, or perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding Word of God. And he'll say later on, that was preached to you. You see, when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we became a member of God's family. 1 John 3, 1, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. We have a new origin. We're new creations in Christ. Yes, we have a physical origin, but we now have a spiritual origin. We are of Christ. We are in his family. And if you are a true believer, every other true believer around you is a brother or sister in Christ. It's a family. It's a family in which we are brothers and sisters. And folks, we need to remember this tremendous reality when we think of one another. We really do. We so forget that, don't we? It's so important that we remember we are all part of the body of Christ, those who have trusted in Jesus. It's not that our physical families are not important. We honor them and we love them. But we who are true believers, having, having ex- evidenced that by obedience to the Lord, a true change in our hearts, have a greater family relationship than our physical family. It's a greater one. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew and then also in Luke? Luke turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Jesus' physical family is trying to get him. And if you know the context, they're concerned. He's, he's kind of going out, he's out of his mind, basically. That's what they're thinking. They're trying to get him. They're anxiously waiting for him and want to speak to him. And the Lord responds when they say, hey, your family is wanting to get you. They, they want to talk to you, Jesus. You can look at the parallel portion in Matthew, but I want to read the portion in the Gospel of Luke, or just one portion. Luke 8.20. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. That's his family, physical family, right? But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Those who have been changed, this is my family. We sang that song, the amazing reality, God took on human flesh, God our father, Christ our brother. Tremendous reality. He's God in flesh, but we are now in the family of God. Tremendous reality. If you're a believer, we have entered into a higher relationship. And we need to see one another that way. We really do. It's not that we dishonor our our physical families. We are to honor them and love them. But we have a higher relationship. Paul calls him my brother my brother. With that in mind, notice he also calls him something else. Look at verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker. Fellow worker. The term translated fellow worker speaks of working with or working together. It's a term borrowed from the workshop where people were working together in the workshop. For a common task, a common goal, the energy is being expended for a common goal. Pretty simple statement. But what is being done here is the work of Christ. 
verse 30, we see that Epaphroditus came close to death for the work of Christ. The work of Christ. The work that Christ calls his servants to do. And the work of Christ for the Epaphroditus was to bring a financial gift to the Apostle Paul and to bring a message from the Philippians. That was the work. And to minister to his needs. That was the work of Christ. And the Apostle Paul says that he is my fellow worker. And don't miss the humility in that. The Apostle Paul and Epaphroditus were on the same level as servants of Christ. Different giftings, but servants of Christ. Fellow workers. They were equals with different callings and giftings. And Paul and Epaphroditus understood the fact rightly that if you are Christ, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. And you are stewards of the gifts that God has given us. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4 verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We've all been gifted in Jesus Christ. We all have a stewardship in serving one another. We're to serve one another. We're to serve one another. And the Apostle Paul calls him a fellow worker. They were, they were serving one another. He was, they were working, uh, doing the work of Christ together, a common spiritual purpose. You see, if we're functioning right, we're not only brothers and sisters in Christ, we're also fellow workers in the kingdom. The tasks that we do, although different for Christ, are part of the work of Christ that we do together. So often churches design this way that you come in and everybody works for you, right? That's backwards. It's backwards. They had a common spiritual purpose and it was identifiable. The Apostle Paul says, my fellow worker, fellow worker. You see, when you come to Jesus Christ, everything changes. We still do our regular work, but now we do it unto the Lord, not unto men. And we are given gifts to serve one another in the body of Christ. Would you be considered a brother? and fellow worker, if Paul were writing about you? What do you do to expend your effort? What do you do in serving Christ? Well, notice also he is also a fellow soldier. Look at verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier. He's not only a brother in Christ, he's not only one who co-labors concerning the kingdom of Christ with me, but he is also a fellow soldier. He is a fellow soldier. What do you mean? I thought when you come to Jesus Christ, everything's wonderful and great. Well, it is in terms of being saved and forgiven of our sins and the glory that's going to follow, but there is, and there is sufferings. We enter into a battle. Do you know that? You need to count the cost. When you, when you come to Jesus Christ, we enter into a temporal war, a conflict, a battle that Jesus Christ has ultimately won on the cross. But you see, when you came to Jesus Christ, the enemy of Christ, Satan, became our personal enemy. We were in his domain before, no trouble. We wanted to do our own will, and that's just what he wanted. We turned to Christ, we want to do his will, and that's not what Satan wants. And we are in an unrelenting, fierce battle with our foe and his minions to trust Christ or not, to rely on Christ alone or not, 
to focus on Christ or not. We're in a battle every single day. And Paul and Epaphroditus, like us, were fighting the same enemies under the same commander. We're fellow soldiers. We're in the battle together. See, I think sometimes we don't realize we're in a battle and we get blindsided. We get blindsided by the temptations that Satan can bring. We get blindsided by, by those things. We're in a struggle. Look to Ephesians chapter 6, and we know this passage, but Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul writes concerning this struggle. This struggle. And it's temporal, by the way. It's temporal. Christ has won it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against what? The schemes of the devil. We know his schemes, right? We know that he uses sin to, uh, to cause us to be imprisoned in a sense. You know, if we're not, if he uses unforgiveness. He's a tempter, right? He causes us to doubt God's goodness and God's word. We know his schemes, right? We know we're not to give Satan a place. Paul, would have, Paul said that earlier in Ephesians. But he says here, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. This is an organized enemy. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly, the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the floor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Our battle ultimately is not against flesh and blood, but against Satan and his minions. But the reality is, in this war, he uses people. That's not who our battle is against, but he uses those who are in his domain. But we are to keep our thoughts and our but we don't war back in, in, in terms of the flesh. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul, look at how he describes this war that we have. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of, warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The battle's in the heart and mind, right? Taking every thought captive, right? But yet it comes out, and we have difficulty, and it comes in the context of people who are not following the Lord. We saw back in chapter 1, back in Philippians that they had opponents, right? They had opponents. They had opponents, people who opposed them. Turn back to Philippians, and let's go back to chapter 1, verse 28. You see, although our battle is against Satan, he uses people. He uses people. Philippians 1, 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents which is a sign of destruction for them, but a salvation for you, and that too from God. For it has been granted for Christ's sake, granted to you, it has been, for, to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. 
experiencing the same conflict which you also saw in me and now here to be in me. There's a battle going on. And it manifests in the context of people. But yet Satan is behind it. We see in chapter 3, and we'll look at this next week, Paul says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. They're the guys who pretend to be following Christ, but are really not. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. No wonder his workers do the same thing. So we are in a battle. We're in a battle. And Paul says about Epaphroditus that he is a fellow soldier. A fellow soldier. What does Paul tell Timothy about this? Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. You see, I think we glide too often forgetting who we really are and what's really going on in our lives as believers. There's a temporal battle going on. The battle is to trust Jesus. The battle is to do what is right. The battle is to endure in the midst of suffering. It's the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Go to counseling so you don't have to suffer. Is that what he says? I'm kidding you. But he says, suffer hardship. There's hardship in following Jesus Christ. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. When you do the right thing, you're going to suffer. When you do the right thing at school, at work, you serve the Lord, you're obedient. Do the right thing in your families as you raise your children, you're going to suffer at times. You do the right thing in church, you're going to suffer because we have an enemy and that battle manifests in the context of people. You're going to suffer. We know that. But he says here, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. It's all about Christ. Suffer hardship as a good soldier. We're in a war, brothers and sisters, and there is hardship and suffering. Yet it's the good fight of faith. The Apostle Paul and Epaphroditus were brothers in Christ. They were serving the Lord together, and they were fellow soldiers together. Do you see your brothers and sisters in Christ as, as in the same battle as you? We're fighting the same common enemy. We have the same commander. It's a battle going on. Encourage one another. Be united. So notice he says here, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and my fellow worker and fellow soldier. And notice what else he says who is also your messenger. We read this earlier in chapter uh, 4, that Epaphroditus had been sent from the Philippian church to deliver a financial gift and most likely a message with that. He's your messenger. You sent him. He's your messenger. No small task. And notice he says, who is also your messenger, and end of verse 25, minister to my need. Isn't that wonderful? The Apostle Paul is in prison, he's suffering, and the Philippians have sent Epaphroditus to, to uh, bring the gift and to minister to Paul's need. That's serving, ministering to the physical needs of believers as they serve Christ. Ministering to the physical needs as they serve Jesus Christ. 
This term minister is an interesting term. We've seen it earlier. It's, it comes from the Greek word liturgos. He uses this word. Rather than servant, he uses the word minister. It, it comes from the word litos, which speaks of people, and ergon, which means work. And in Greek culture, it spoke strictly of one performing public service. In the Old Testament translation of the, of the, of the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it spoke of priestly service. In the New Testament, it speaks of one who carries out God's will by serving his people, ministering to them. It's sacred service. It's sacred service. He says he was a minister to my needs. The apostle, or one, one pastor writes, the service of Epaphroditus was ministering to the needs of Paul while in Rome. He was looked upon the apostle, by the apostle Paul as someone who was ministering in a context in that which had much sacredness about it. He used the same word that would speak of the priests in the Old Testament. You see, I don't think we think too much about what we do in Christ at times. When you serve the Lord, you are ministering. It's sacred service to the Lord. The Apostle Paul says he is a one performing sacred service to my needs for me. The things we do in Christ as God leads us are very important. Epaphroditus wasn't a preacher. He wasn't an apostle. He was a servant. And Paul sees him in ministering in this fashion. We need to up our view of what serving really is. When we serve the Lord, it is a big deal. And we need to do it with the right heart, the right way, the serving the living God. You see, the Lord uses his word to equip us to serve. And we see in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to the Lord. It's so easy to lessen the reality of what people are doing in Christ, maybe to compare what you're doing versus what they're doing, or whatever it might be, don't do that. The Apostle Paul said he was his brother, his fellow worker, his fellow soldier, his messenger and minister to my need, performing sacred service. We saw it a little while ago. Turn to Philippians 4. The gift that was given was seen as an offering. The gift that Epaphroditus delivered was seen as, a, as, a, as an offering to the Lord. Look at Philippians 4 again. Verse 14. He says, nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Now skip up to 18. We've already read those other verses. But I have received everything in full and have abundance. I am amply supplied, I have, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That gift was a sacrifice. And what Epaphroditus was doing was ministry to the Lord. You see, folks, maybe the reason we don't see our offering as sacrificial to the Lord because we haven't really sacrificed ourselves. We don't see ourselves as a sacrifice. You know, in Romans chapter 12, we are to, by the mercies of God, present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God. We are offering ourselves. When you serve, you are sacrificing. You're, you're giving something up. You're giving up yourself, your time to do the things of the Lord. It's a sacrifice. I'm giving myself over to him. When I do these things, I'm giving up to Christ to do this. 
Maybe we need to see it more rightly at times. Epaphroditus was a man who was a faithful servant of Christ. He was a minister performing sacred service by ministering to Paul. And guess what? This service cost him. It was a sacrifice. It almost cost him, as we will see, his life to serve the Lord. Now, as we continue, not only was he a faithful servant, he had a genuine concern. You know, and this is one thing that, that is on my heart. Are we concerned for our brothers and sisters rightly? Do we have a genuine heart concern for where their hearts are at? Look at this, back in our passage, chapter 2, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because, I'm going to send him, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him all only but also on me lest i should have sorrow upon sorrow therefore lest i should have sorrow upon sorrow therefore i have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again you may rejoice and i may be less concerned about you i like how paul is just straightforward saying the way it is right remember paul began saying i've sent Epaphroditus back, and this might have been a shock. We knew he was sick. Is he not serving anymore? Is it done? Is he well enough to come back? Why can't he keep serving Paul? Might have been a shock. Has he become homesick? So Paul affirmed by sharing his character, and now he explains why he sent him back. Verse 26, he says, Because he was longing to see you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Epaphroditus was longing to see the Philippians. He was distressed. There was internal turmoil. It speaks of being terribly upset. He was troubled because they were troubled. They deeply loved him and they heard he was on his deathbed, as we'll see in a moment. And he was concerned because they thought he was dying. And he wanted them to hear the news that he wasn't dying, that he was alive, that God had healed him. He was concerned for where their heart was at. Are you concerned for where your brothers and sisters' hearts are at when things affect them? Are you concerned? He had compassion. He had compassion. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Remember, there's no email, there's no telephone, no FedEx, UPS. They had heard he was close to death, and then he had heard that they had heard. Time had passed. And so Epaphroditus was anguished because of their concern. He was considering them as more important than himself, by the way. Philippians chapter 2, have this mind in you. When you see people, do you consider them more important than you? Do you consider their feelings? I'm not saying that we don't say things that are difficult, faithful are the wounds of a friend, deceitful the kisses, kisses of an enemy. I'm not saying we don't come alongside and exhort and admonish at times. But I'm saying, are you concerned about where their hearts are at? We all need to be convicted about this. He was concerned. He's concerned. You see, love for others is the fruit of a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Galatians 5. Do you wonder why maybe you don't see people that way at times? It's because we can just become more important. Our agenda, our schedule, whatever it is about us, can become more important than those around us. He had compassion. He had compassion. 
And what's amazing is God was gracious and God healed him from this sickness. Look at verse 27. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. The Greek reads this way. He was alongside death. Death and him were neighbors. It was that close. He was on his deathbed. And he was on his deathbed, as we will see, for the work of Christ. He did it for Christ. It wasn't foolish. But in the process of serving Christ through difficult situations, by traveling that distance, all that he had done, he was on his deathbed. Now, folks, here, he wasn't sick because he was sinning, was he? There's some bad theology out there that says if people come sick, it's because of personal sin. Now, we know from 1 Corinthians 11 that, yes, God does discipline and he does cause people to be sick sometimes and even disciplines them to death because of sin. That's true. But not always is that the case. You can never say from your vantage point that it's because of sin, unless there's actual sin to be seen, right? He was sick to the point of death. But notice the contrast. But God had mercy on him. It's a wonderful statement. God took pity upon Epaphroditus and he healed him. You know, we live in a sinful fallen world. And the death rate is one per person, right? Every breath we take is a gift from God. And God is compassionate. He's merciful. And he's loving kind to those who call upon him. And God had mercy upon Epaphroditus. He had mercy. Sometimes people get caught up in God's sovereignty. Well, it's ordained to be whatever it might be. Don't mess with his attributes. They're all together, not just one by itself. He was merciful. Pray for those who are sick, that God might be merciful. He healed Epaphroditus. He was gracious. God had mercy on him. Sometimes we cry to God for mercy and he gives it. Sometimes he doesn't. But here he did. He did. And in verse 27, we see the mercy was extended to Epaphroditus and he was healed. But his mercy was also extended to Paul. Guess what? When you love somebody and they're suffering, it's hard, isn't it? You care so much for them. And God had mercy. And he says here, For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him did God have mercy, Paul says, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Do you know how Paul would have felt? This is real people, real feelings. This is real reality. You only have felt if someone died in the process of serving him? He would be sorrowful for the loss of Epaphroditus, but have great sorrow also upon that because it was because of him, in a sense. God had mercy on Paul, too, he says. Therefore, because of Paul's great concern for Epaphroditus, we see also Epaphroditus received mercy. God answered prayers. Paul and Epaphroditus are wonderful examples of caring for one another, aren't they? They really are. We can become so theological and so sterile in our understanding of Scripture at times rather than living out the reality of genuine love for one another. And they loved each other. God was merciful. So then what's going to happen here? What's Paul going to do? Let's read back. He's going to say, therefore I sent him. Let's go back and read up to our passage in verse 28. But I thought it necessary, verse 25, to send you Epaphroditus, 
my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my need because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick for indeed he was sick to the point of death but God had mercy on him not only on him but also on me lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow therefore therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Therefore, I've sent him all the more eagerly, all the more eagerly. Do you know how unselfish this is? Paul is sending the guy who's ministering to him because he wants to alleviate his heart concerning the hearts that are concerned about him in Philippi. Selfless. I'm going to send the guy that's ministering to you. I'm sending him back so that you'll all rejoice. You see, Paul had great concern for Epaphroditus and the Philippians that it would be turned to joy when they were reunited. You see, Paul is grieved because Epaphroditus is grieved because the Philippians are grieved. So Paul says, go back there that we all would rejoice, right? Right? Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly in order that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Paul was concerned about them. It's wonderful to see such heart of concern from real shepherds, isn't it? It's the heart of concern that Jesus had. Turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Jesus says in John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hireling and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf and coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And folks, when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we abide in him, we let his word work on our hearts, he gives us a concern for one another. And we see that here. They were concerned. They were concerned. And Paul was more concerned about Epaphras' heart because he was concerned about the Philippians because they were concerned about him that he sent him back. It's a tremendous lesson for us, folks. It's a tremendous lesson of what is really important. There are very few Timothys in Epaphroditus. They were both selfless. Very few Pauls concerned about the spiritual conditions of brothers and sisters in the Lord. What would the scripture say of you? Are you one that's concerned primarily about the things of you, or are you concerned about the things of the body of Christ? Certainly you've got to take care of your own things. We know that but we're to see others as more important than ourselves. How do we become like Epaphroditus? Simply put, we trust and obey the Lord. We allow his mind to control us. Philippians 2, verse 5, have this attitude which was also in Christ Jesus. Serving in the body of Christ, giving, emptying oneself to serve, and then a hum- humble obedience. Obey the Lord, even to the point of death. 
Guess what? Epaphras almost died obeying the Lord, didn't he? And God was merciful on him. We see that in the final portion of our passage. Notice he was a sacrificial servant. Therefore, verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Because of Epaphroditus had great concern for these Philippians and the Philippians had great concern for him, Paul sent him back. And he gives commands how to receive him. Therefore, receive him in the Lord. In the context of a real relationship with the Lord and how you would receive one of his people. Receive him in the Lord. Receive him in the Lord also with all joy. They're to rejoice when he gets back. They're not to be saddened. They're not to be tempted to think, hmm, Epaphroditus didn't complete his work. Paul had to send him back. No, that's not it. Paul is more concerned about the hearts of the people. So rejoice. Therefore, receive him with, in the Lord with all joy. And then notice the next command. He says, and hold men like him in high regard. Present tense. Continually keep holding men like him in high regard. The term uh, high regard speaks of being highly praised, or it's even translated precious. It's the same word used speaking of Jesus Christ in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. A precious in the sight of the Lord. High regard. See it as precious. He risked his life. And it's an interesting word. The word speaks to roll the dice. He gambled his life. Now, he gambled his life not in his own wisdom or ways. The Lord was directing him to serve him. The the church had sent him. It was in the context of serving the Lord, but it was a gamble. He risked his life. He rolled the dice. That's what the word means. He exposed himself to danger for Christ. Guess what? When you step out, you will expose yourself to difficulty, by the way. It is a risk. Wasn't that foolish? Not if Christ is leading. Yes, there are people who expose themselves and gamble and Christ isn't leading at all, right? This was the Lord doing this. It was a real risk. And he says, hold them in high regard as precious. Hold this man in high regard when he comes back. He almost died for serving Christ. For serving Christ. He was willing to do it. And I ask you, are you willing to die for Christ? If what God called upon you to do would cause you to possibly lose your life, something might happen. You know, there's this bogus theology out there these days that you're supposed to make sure you're really rested. Don't burn out. Don't burn out. Don't expend your energy for Christ. Well, sometimes people spend their energy for Christ. He did so. and He was to be held in high regard. Risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. And what does he mean by that? That the Philippians hadn't fulfilled their service completely? Well, yes, in a sense. It wasn't complete. There was more that God wanted them to do. And that was done through Epaphroditus. You see, they had a responsibility in Christ to take care of Paul, in a sense. And they did. And he fulfilled what was deficient in their service, what was lacking. You see, what was... 
was deficient. You see, and if we don't serve one another, by the way, on a side note, we are lacking and we are shortchanging one another, by the way, if we don't. You know, when we, we're, we're commanded to serve one another. So I want to ask you today, are you deficient in your service? Is there anything lacking? We've seen today a tremendous example, a tremendous example of the mindset of Christ, seeing others as more important than themselves. He risked his life to serve Christ, to do a very simple task, deliver a message and serve Paul and bring that money. But it was a difficult task that he almost died doing. We've seen in the past few weeks three examples of selfless, humble, obedient service to the Lord. Those who did not complain and grumble, but worked out their salvation with fear and trembling, being obedient. We have Paul and Timothy, and today we've seen Epaphroditus performing sacred spiritual service and ministering to the needs of the Apostle Paul, risking his life. Do you see the mundane tasks that God has ordained in us serving one another as service unto the Lord? Is your heart, does it have a heart of compassion for where people are at concerning the difficulties that come in the context of serving Christ? Does your heart ever get concerned when someone is is fighting the good fight of faith and, and difficulties come upon them and they're concerned? Are you concerned? Epaphroditus was a great example an example that we can follow. He was Paul's brother in Christ, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, one in sacred service, ministering to the needs of others, willing to give it all up. How about you? Maybe it's time to go back to when you first got saved, when you were willing to do that. Whatever you want, Lord Jesus. Whatever you want, I'm willing to do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the example of this man, Lord God, who who they were commanded to hold in high regard, and also men like this. Lord, I pray we would be obedient, that we would hold those who truly are are sacrificing for serving you in high regard, but yet not just those, that we all would be willing to sacrifice and serve you as you have ordained, that we would offer ourselves as living sacrifices, knowing that the tasks we do, whether small or large, are are. are extremely sacred and important. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray that you will use it to change our lives, that we'd be different, that we would have a heart of compassion, that we would see things differently. We'd be like your son. And it's in his name we pray.